You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you guys want to open up your Bibles to James chapter 5, that would be wonderful. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it is page 1013 in the Pew Bible right in front of you. Church, this past week I spent some time thinking about my grandfather who passed away several years ago. He was a great guy who knew how to work hard, especially with his hands, and he loved the outdoors. And to this day, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't take advantage of his knowledge and experience when I was younger and he was healthier. Truth be told, if I knew then what I know now, I would have spent a lot more time learning the craft of carpentry from him. I would have spent a lot more time hunting and fishing with him. You see, I became interested in these things a little bit later in life. And by the time I became interested, my grandfather became incapacitated. He was too weak to hunt and fish and teach me how to build things. And if I could do it all over again, I'd spend as much time as possible saying, Grandpa, teach me your ways. Why? Because his knowledge and his experience was invaluable. Well, church, the same is true about Jesus. His knowledge and expertise was invaluable, and the disciples, they were smart enough to recognize it. In fact, for three and a half years, they rubbed elbows with someone whom they loved and admired deeply. And even though they may not have understood everything, and even though they were at times way off base, they still took advantage of the time they had with Jesus and his teachings. But here's what blows me away. Here's what blows me away about the disciples. They could have asked Jesus to teach them anything. They could have said, Lord, teach us to preach. But they didn't. They could have said, Lord, teach us to perform miracles and do great signs. But they didn't. They could have said, Lord, teach us how to expel demons. But they didn't. Now, granted, they did do all of those things. God gave them the authority to do all those things. But that wasn't their primary concern. The Bible records one thing the disciples specifically wanted to learn from their master. And it's found in Luke 11, 1. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. You see, the disciples witnessed something about prayer that was so powerful, so remarkable, so noteworthy, that learning how to do it took priority over everything else. It's for this reason D.L. Moody said, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples to preach, but only to pray. You see, church, what is often considered the least important priority for God's people now was the most important priority for God's people then. And so it makes me wonder, what in the world are we missing? What are we missing in today's church? William Law said, prayer is the nearest approach to God and the highest enjoyment of him that we are capable of in this life. And if that's true, and I believe it is, And we'd be wise to learn how to embrace it effectively. Amen? And so this morning, as we continue our study through the book of James, actually, we're going to be ending our study next week, we're going to learn more about effective prayer. Effective prayer. And it's through our study we're going to be reminded of this truth. The prayers of the righteous possess great power. Got to remember that. So with that being said, let me pray over our time in God's word before we hop in. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful 
that, that we get to talk about prayer this morning. And Lord, I, like the disciples, have been asking you myself, Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, this is something that if we're all honest and we admit this morning that this, this is like the one thing that we just don't understand or don't do enough of. Some of us, maybe not even at all. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would turn our hearts this morning to be attentive to your word and to just learn just a little bit, just a little bit about what it means to pray and that connection that we could have with you. Help us to leave here just a little bit better in our prayer lives than when we arrived. Oh, Lord, give us understanding and wisdom. And help me to speak your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the New Testament, it was customary for the concluding sections of letters to include a general encouragement to pray. And the book of James is no exception. However, as we'll soon see, what is unique to James is that in his call to prayer, it's much more specific in nature, both in its detail and in its length. Of course, this shouldn't surprise us because James is a book all about practical Christian living, right? We've been learning all about how to practically do life as believers in our study. And so if James is going to encourage the church to pray, he's going to go out of his way to explain how to do it, at least give some pointers on how to do it. And so, friends, we would be wise to soak in his teaching because more than anything else, God's people are supposed to be known as a people who pray. More than anything else. In his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Cimbala notes, before a Bible was available, before the first preacher was ordained or the first choir was formed, a godly strain of men and women distinguished themselves from their ungodly neighbors by calling on the Lord. In fact, God's first people were not called Jews. They were not called the children of Israel, and they were not called Hebrews. In the very beginning, their original name was those who call on the name of the Lord. You see that in Genesis 4.26. Even Jesus made this distinction when he walked the earth and he was teaching his disciples. He did not say, my house shall be called a house of preaching or a house of teaching or a house of music or a house of programs. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 13, it is written, my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. Of course, preaching and teaching and music and programs, all good things, all essential to a life-giving church. However, if these good things take precedence over prayer, well, then we've misplaced our priorities. And so James has a lot to say on the subject of prayer, so let's begin by reading the whole passage, and then we'll break it down. James 5, verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If anyone is among you sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Church, the story is told of a little boy who was a picky eater. And one day he was visiting with his grandfather who had a rule that you must eat everything on your plate, which, by the way, was my grandfather's rule when he was alive. He said, make your plate sparkle. 
And so anyway, during dinner, the little boy nervously looked at his food and said, Grandpa, would it be okay if I asked God to help me with my dinner? And never wanting to discourage his grandchildren's faith, his grandpa agreed. And so the little boy bowed his head and he prayed silently. And then he divided up the food on his plate and he only ate what he liked. His grandpa inquired, well, what about the rest of the food? To which the boy replied, that's God's part. Church, even though the little boy was a bit misguided, he was actually onto something. When it comes to prayer, we have a part, and God has a part. And if we're faithful in fulfilling our part, God will be faithful in fulfilling his. And so found within today's passage are five parts to effective prayer. Let's begin by looking at the first. Pray constantly. Pray constantly. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. You know, all of us have spare tires in our car, just in case we have a leak or something goes flat. And most of the time, we don't even think about the spare tire until something goes wrong. And it's only when something goes wrong that we look into our trunk or underneath the vehicle for that tire. And sometimes when we find the tire, it's so rusted in that we can't get the tire out and it's unusable. Anybody ever have, have that problem before, getting a flat tire, you just can't get the thing out? I am the only one. That is so weird. Okay. <clears throat> but friends, many of us treat prayer the same way that we treat, I just, like I said, I needed to spend more time with my grandpa using my hands. But anyway, many of us treat prayer the same way we treat that spare tire. We only think about it when we're in trouble. And when we do think about it, sometimes we're so rusty in our practice of it that we're not even sure if we're even doing it the right way or using it the right way. One of the great women of the faith, Corey Ten Boom, said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? In other words, does it drive everything in your life? Or do you only use it as needed? In today's opening text, James is calling the Jerusalem church to allow prayer to be the driver of everything they do, both through the times of suffering and through times of rejoicing. He called them to maintain a posture of prayer and praise in all circumstances. Hey, if you're suffering, pray. If there's good things going on in your life, sing praises to God, which is prayer. Prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, to pray without ceasing is to stay constantly connected to God. I know some couples who, for one reason or another, spend as much time as possible FaceTiming one another, like all the time. They could be at work, they could be at home, or even falling asleep in their beds, and their lines are still connected. If you're that couple, seriously, find something else to do with your life. But anyway, <laughs> now they may not always be talking to one another, and they may experience many interruptions in their day, but the line of communication is always open. As believers, we're called to keep this line of communication always open with God. In other words, even though we might not always be talking to God, our connection with him should never be broken. Essentially, this is what James was calling the Jerusalem church to do as they were enduring suffering on account of their faith. Because in doing so, they'd be following a long line of faithful believers who constantly stayed connected to the Lord through difficult circumstances. Jim Simbola notes, the apostles had this instinct, when in trouble, pray. When intimidated, pray. When challenged, pray. When persecuted, pray. 
But again, James didn't limit our times of prayer to only when we have problems. Can you imagine if that worked? Like, think about your kids. If they only talked to you when they had a problem, you'd be like, what am I? What am I? Like, I'm your dad. I, I want to talk to you about other things besides just problems, solving your problems. And so we're not only to talk to God just when we have problems. Instead, we're called to pray and praise God all of the time. Romans 12, 12 affirms this. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer, keeping that line of communication open. Church, as I've often said, if the commands in Scripture came naturally to us, they wouldn't need to be commands in Scripture. And this is especially true when it comes to prayer. And you know this. This is, this is not a surprise to you, right? You know this. A prayerful, prayerful posture rarely comes naturally. It takes work. But the result is well worth the effort. And so all this to say, one of the first steps in praying effectively is developing this pattern of prayer that covers all areas of our lives, not just the, the times where we need to grab the spare tire because there's a problem or an emergency. Tony Evans said, for many of us, prayer is like the national anthem before a football game. It gets the game started, but it simply has no connection to what's happening on the field. It's a courtesy. Friends, those who pray effectively invite God into the whole game of their lives. This leads us to the second part of effective prayer, Pray humbly, humbly. Verse 14, just that first sentence. Is anyone among you sick? We're going to stop there for a second. As most of you know, I am the son of a pharmacist. My grandfather and my father owned a pharmacy in Troop for 66 years. And up until six years ago, if I ever needed over-the-counter over medicine or a prescription filled, I can call my dad at any time of the night and say, Dad, I need this prescription done, or the kids are sick, or I'm sick, or whatever, and he would drive down, it doesn't matter where he was, see, Mike, I'll be there, he would drive down to the pharmacy, meet me in the dead of night, and fill the prescription. It was super awesome. I also always was able to walk into the pharmacy and grab any candy I want and just leave. Like, hey, Dad, I'm taking this, see ya. Sometimes I wouldn't even tell him I was taking them, like Snickers, Twix, uh, Starburst, sorry, he's got to go, you know. It was a beautiful thing. That is why my dad is no longer in business, by the way. <laughs> That adds up through the years. But my father was always there to meet me in my time of need. Well, in the same way, James is providing a prescription for those in need of healing. And it involves calling upon God the Father who will always be there to meet you and I in our time of need. So James begins by addressing those who are sick. And before moving forward, I think it's important that we define what sick is because there are actually two schools of thought on this. You see, some believe that James is referring to those who are physically sick, and others believe that he's referring to those who are spiritually sick. You see, the same Greek word for sick has been used to refer both to physical illness and it's been used to refer to emotional and spiritual weakness in the midst of suffering. So we've got to figure this thing out. Well, interestingly enough, the predominant use in the New Testament is actually the latter, not the former. But most notably, the Apostle Paul used it when he referred to his own weakened state when going through spiritual suffering on account of his faith. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am 
Weak, same word for sick. When I am weak, then I am strong. And he's talking about that in the context of, of, of being persecuted, mistreatment, mistreated for his faith. And so as I was studying this passage out, because again, there's two schools of thought on it, given the fact that the Jerusalem church was going through very similar trials on account of their faith, I believe the best interpretation of sick in this context is that it refers to emotional and spiritual weakness. Now remember, James literally begins his letter by, by telling the church to consider it pure joy when they're going through what? Trials. So you have a church in trials. And in the passage just before this one, what I preached on literally last week, he called the church to patiently endure those trials and those sufferings. And so therefore, contextually, it just makes more sense that those who were sick within the Jerusalem church were those who were spiritually debilitated by their trials. You ever go through a trial where your faith is just weakened? Where like the trials and the discouragement, the persecution that maybe you're receiving because of your faith just pushes you and presses you down to the point where you're just like, oh, you're so discouraged and you're, and you're just spiritually like you just, you want, you wish you were that superhero in the faith, but really it's, it's wrecking you. I believe that's where the Jerusalem church was. Of course, it's quite possible that their spiritual sickness was accompanied by some physical sickness as well. It's possible. I'm okay with that being possible. But regardless, whatever view you take, the prescription to pray applies to both scenarios. James continues. He says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You see, church, we all know what it's like to be spiritually depleted and defeated. We all know what it's like to experience seasons of doubt and discouragement. And for some people, that discouragement is so devastating that they've hit like rock bottom and they're just unable to pray effectively. They're so clouded. Their judgment is clouded. Their viewpoint is clouded. They're just in the muck. And if you find yourself in this spiritually weakened state, James gives a good prescription for getting out. He says, surround yourself with those who are spiritually strong. You see, God established elders to be overseers of the church and care for the flock of God that he has given them. And so if you're in this place of spiritual desperation, in faith and humility, it's appropriate to call upon the elders to pray over you and anoint you with oil. Though it's not practiced as often in today's church, in ancient times, oil had a medicinal and a symbolic use. Medicinally, it was used as a means of soothing the body and just providing comfort to the body. And symbolically, for elders to anoint someone who is sick with oil was to encourage and strengthen and refresh their spirit. So for all of you essential oil people out there, this just might be your vindication. Sometimes in the right context, it works. Anointing with oil works. Nevertheless, James is encouraging those who are hurting and weak within the Jerusalem church to just humble themselves and reach out to those that God put over them and ask for prayer and in faith trust that God is going to restore their spirits. James 5.15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and, he will, and if he has committed sins, he will be 
forgiven. You see, church, it takes an awful lot of faith and humility to admit you're spiritually sick and weakened, doesn't it? Especially when you admit it to those whom God appointed as your spiritual authority. It shouldn't be, that should not intimidate you, by the way. Like, if you were to come to me and say, Mike, I'm broken and I need prayer, like, I'm not going to hammer you for that, but it is still hard to do, isn't it? But when you come to that place and you prayerfully give it over to the Lord, he promises that he's going to lift you up and renew you. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry, and he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Church, to be honest, I'm living example of, of this, of these verses. I've experienced this where I've been spiritually hardened or, or, or discouraged or doubtful. And, and it took me an awful long time to admit it, but then I was able to speak to a few of my elders to encourage my spirits, and God did that. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. There's something just about reaching out that's helpful and healing. However, we must also remember that when we give our situation over to the Lord, we must also confess our sins to the Lord. You see, spiritual bondage can often lead to sinful behavior. So if you're spiritually weakened and you're struggling with doubt, discouragement, whatever, it's, it's a lot easier to just start committing sins. And unless we deal with our sin, our situation is going to remain unchanged. In other words, if you desire God's divine intervention, you've got to confess your transgression. Otherwise, your prayers are going to fall on deaf ears. You say, really? Really, Pastor Mike? Well, look at Psalm 66, 18. says, if I've cherished iniquity, sin, in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And so we do need to do business with God when it comes to whatever sin we might be hanging on to. And so, church, the overarching principle is clear. Effective prayer requires humility. And those who pray with humility can rest assured that their sins will be forgiven and that the Lord will, in his perfect timing, resolve your situation. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. How many of you guys are thankful for that verse today? He cares for you. Just give it all over. This leads us to the third part of effective prayer. Pray collectively. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. A story is told of a farmer who was hosting one of his sophisticated relatives from the city. And before eating dinner, the farmer prayed and gave thanks for his food. When he finished, his relatives scoffed and said, this is so old-fashioned. Nobody with an education prays at the table anymore. And the farmer conceded that the practice was a bit old-fashioned and even admitted that there were some on his farm who did not pray before meals. Feeling justified, the relative remarked, ha, so enlightenment is finally reaching the farm. Who are these wise ones? And the farmer replied, my pigs. 
Church, there are those who are, tru- those who are truly wise know the importance of prayer. And those who are even wiser, they know the importance of praying with other people. You see, private prayer and corporate prayer are like your left foot and your right foot. Both are necessary to move forward. However, if we're honest, most people in the church today, they're hopping on one foot when it comes to their prayer lives. Daniel Henderson notes, most of us were taught prayer is something we do almost exclusively on our own in a closet somewhere. In reality, early Christians learned to pray largely by praying together. Praying together. In fact, by praying together, the early church was birthed. By praying together, the early church coped with crisis and persecution. By praying together, the early church resolved problems. By praying together, the early church witnessed divine interventions. By praying together, the early church received direction. And as we see here, by praying together, the Jerusalem church received healing and restoration. You see, corporate prayer wasn't like a side gig. It was a regular practice of the early church. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. They were devoted to it. And so, friends, if we desire to see powerful movements of God in the modern church, we need to return back to this practice. Charles Spurgeon said, The condition of a church may very accurately be gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer. And from it, we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. James continues, the prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Notice how James said, A righteous person, not a perfect person. Simply put, a righteous person is someone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and salvation. In other words, they have his imputed righteousness on them because of their faith in him. And they just do their best to walk with him by faith in their day-to-day lives. In other words, a Christian, you, 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Church, according to Scripture, there are no limits on what God can do when God's people pray. The problem in today's world is that many of God's people don't pray. Billy Graham said, heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one's ever bothered to ask. F.B. Meyer said, the greatest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Listen, if you desire a more powerful and effective prayer life, then I've got some really good news for you. If you're a believer then God has given, already given you everything you need for success. You just need to be intentional about creating space in your life to use what God's already given to you. Remember, healthy prayer rhythms don't come naturally. 
they don't. It's not like you're going to wake up in the morning and it's just going to, like, all of a sudden, you're a prayer warrior. It takes time and effort and work, but those who choose to establish these rhythms in their lives, let me tell you, they will not be disappointed. They will not be disappointed. Psalm 145, 18 and 19 says, The Lord is near to all who what? Call on him. And to all who call on him in truth. And he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. And he also hears their cry and saves them. How, how many of you want that kind of closeness to God? Say, I do. It's, it's all right here. Like God says, you, you have it. Just, just use it. Just take it. It's yours. You have such a good God. Fourth part of effective prayer. Pray fervently. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Church, when my brother, brothers and I were younger, there was one video game that we had to have. I might have told you this before, but you don't remember. <laughs> NBA Jam. Now, for those of you that are like college age and below, you're like, what's that? But for everybody else, you know. You 40-somethings in this room, you know NBA Jam was my jam back in the day. Day after day, we pestered our dad to get us that game. We relentlessly and persistently begged and pleaded, NBA Jam, NBA Jam! And so on the day when NBA Jam came out, my dad arrived home from work and we were eating dinner. And I distinctly remember asking my dad if he got us the game. And he said, sorry, they were sold out. And, you know, our, 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 we, yeah, we were upset, okay? We did not respond well to that. That is until my dad went into the other room and came back with the game in his hands. He was just messing with us. And we spent all night playing NBA Jam on the Sega Genesis. And to this day, it is still the greatest game, greatest sports game ever created. But church, to pray fervently is to passionately and persistently and earnestly seek God the Father. If we desire to see a movement of God in our lives, then tired, dry, half-hearted prayers just won't cut it. Jim Simbola, to quote him again, he said, God will manifest himself in direct proportion to our passion for him. Now this doesn't mean that we need to be wild and zany and unhinged and overly emotional in our prayers. But it does mean that our prayers should be genuine, wholehearted, and steadfast. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with half of your heart? No, with all your heart. James used the example of the prophet Elijah to drive home his point. You see, contrary to what someone might believe, we look at these prophets and think, Man, look at these guys. They were like mighty men of the faith, and they're just superheroes, and, and there's an element that they are, we call them heroes of the faith, but here's the deal, Elijah, even though he was a prophet of God, was still just an ordinary person, just like us, an ordinary dude. He had moments of strength, he had moments of weakness, just like us, and one of his moments of strength was praying fervently over this really big request until God responded. You can read more about it in 1 Kings 17 and 18. But the overarching point is that powerful answers to prayer are within the reach of any believer who prays fervently. George Muller said, 
The great fault of the children of God is that they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. He has given me, unworthy as I am, immeasurably above all I've asked or I thought. The church, instead of giving up on our prayers, and by the way, George ain't talking about winning the lottery. We all clear on that? <laughs> they desire anything for God's glory. George ain't talking about, oh, Lord, I'm just going to keep going at the jackpot this week. Lord, oh, please, $550 million, Lord. I'll use it for your glory. I'm not talking about that. But church, instead of giving up on our prayers, we should patiently persevere in our prayers until we receive that answer from the Lord. Patiently persevering in prayer for that person in our life who desperately needs Jesus. Don't stop praying for that person until they come to faith. For that person who's struggling with maybe anxiety or mental illness and, and, and is depressed. You keep praying until that person gets lifted out of the miry clay. For that person who thinks they're, they're, they're nobody and they can't accomplish anything for God. You keep praying for that person until they see the worth that they have in Jesus Christ. Praying persistently until God moves is just what we're supposed to do. 1 John 5, 14 through 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, and we know that we have the request that we ask of him. You say, well, how do I know what's in or not in God's will? Well, a good place to start is to read your Bible. And you'll know pretty quickly what God's will is and what it isn't. And, and as I've learned to do over the past year, make a habit of praying with your Bible open. Just crack open scripture and read a passage and just start praying over it and praying God's word back to God. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just kind of takes over and your prayers start to formulate. And I believe those are the most pleasing prayers to the Lord, are the ones that are centered and grounded in his word. And this leads us to the, to the last part of effective prayer. Pray expectantly. Verse 18. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. Church, as most of us know, Amazon has really made a name for itself. Their efficiency in processing orders and delivery is unmatched. And most of the time, when they say your package is going to be delivered on a certain day, it actually arrives on that certain day. They're pretty good at that. And those of us who've grown accustomed to using Amazon on a regular basis have come to expect that they're going to come through on their delivery. Church, the same thing, but much more can be said about God. Those who've grown accustomed to praying on a regular basis have come to expect. It's just an expectation that God's going to come through. Why? Because they've seen him do it again and again and again and again and again. Because they developed this pattern of prayer in their lives. You see, Elijah's prayer wasn't just a one-time occurrence. 
He saw how God came through, came through for him in a big way before, and he believed that God was going to come through for him in a big way again, and God did. Church, sometimes I wonder, and, and, and I say this to myself, as I was praying uh, for this message, even this morning, I was like, God, like, preach to me this morning. Like, I'm in the same boat as the disciples as I'm learning, even myself, like, what it means to, to, to pray like this. And, and so I include myself when I ask this question, but sometimes I wonder if we don't experience answers to our prayers because we don't expect answers to our prayers. It's like this one time, like, shot up to the Lord, and it's like, okay, we'll talk to you later. And I'm not saying that, you know, those one-time prayers are not effective. I think when we speak to the Lord genuinely and fervently, when we reach out to him, that those prayers are dispatched, and who knows what answers are coming our way. I'm not God. But what I do know is there's something about our attitude in prayer that matters. I think oftentimes we pray because it's something we're supposed to do, but we don't really believe that God is going to meet our need. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Church, if we don't have faith that God's going to respond, then we sh- we're never going to get anywhere with our prayers. Our attitude impacts our answer. And so therefore, when we pray, we need to pray with this sense of expectancy. So all this to say, if, if you're here this morning and, and you are in need of God's deliverance, if you're hanging by a thread spiritually, if you are knee-deep in sin and need to repent, if you're weakened or struggling and in need of God's strength to make it through today, then let me encourage you to pray. Pray the way that James teaches us to pray and trust that God is going to meet your need in his perfect timing and renew your soul and your spirits. I like what David said in Psalm 62. He said, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him because God is a refuge for us. The prayers of a righteous possess great I begin by, by mentioning that the only thing the disciples specifically wanted to learn from Jesus, they learned a lot, but what they, they asked him was to pray, how to pray. And it's a reminder to us that effective prayer cannot happen without Jesus. In fact, it says in, in Romans, it says that the Holy Spirit actually intercedes on our behalf when we don't even know how to pray. It actually, we got, the good news is, even when we pray the, the prayers, we feel like, man, this, what am I praying about right now? It doesn't even make any sense. The Holy Spirit is like translating and interpreting and getting the right message up to God. So it's a beautiful thing that we cannot pray effectively unless we have Jesus, because when we have Jesus, we have the Spirit living within us. He takes care of that for us. 
But if you're here today and you don't have Jesus, then your prayers are not going to have any power because you don't have his righteousness. And the good news is that can change. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the Bible teaches that our sin separates us from God, and yet God in his great love for us became a man in Jesus and lived a perfect sinless life, and then he died on the cross and he took the punishment of your sins and my sins upon himself. And then three days later, he didn't stay dead, he rose again. And in doing so, he provided the way to receive forgiveness for our sins and be saved and receive eternal life. Never get tired of hearing John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if you happen to be here this morning and you want to be forgiven for your sins and be given the righteousness of God and be assured of your eternal salvation, all you must do right here in this place right now is admit that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, asking God to forgive you, and believe in the person and work of Jesus. It's an act of faith. It's not, it's not trying to heap up your good deeds and say, God, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to trust that my good outweighs my bad. It's none of that. It is, it is like an act of faith. That's, that's, all I could, that's how I could describe it. It's an act of faith. You're putting all of your eternity, all of it, into the hands of Jesus Christ by faith. And when you do that, you can be assured of your eternal life. Now, if you'd like more information on what it means to receive Christ, you can mark it on your connect slip. Though I wouldn't leave without getting right with Jesus, but you can do that. You can, you can come speak with me after the service. You can grab a, an information packet uh, up front here that talks a little bit more about what it means to be saved. But I want to encourage you not to leave here without having the assurance of eternal life. But for most of us in this room who've made that decision, I want to praise God for that, I want to ask you to just really think about what is going on in your life. How are you doing? How are you doing spiritually? What do you need prayer for? And at this time, I want to invite the, the praise team and the prayer team to come forward. Praise team, you can come up to the stage, obviously. Prayer team, you guys could actually just maybe just hang out in these first uh, pews up front here just so you guys are ready and available. After our closing song, if, if, if you need prayer and you need someone to pray with, our prayer team is going to be up front. And they're not here to counsel you or direct you. They're simply here to pray over you. And so if you just say, hey, I just need prayer for X, Y, or Z, it'd be their joy to do that for you this morning. Come forward and pray with them. They'll be, they'll be up front once the closing song is over. But church, let me pray over you and pray over myself that God would help us to foster an attitude and dependency on him of prayer in our lives, in the life of our church. Father God, this morning we acknowledge how much we need to be dependent on you. And we acknowledge how much we've failed and we've been independent, living our lives independent from you. God, this morning I pray for myself and I pray for the rest of our church body that we would, that you would help us develop a spirit and posture of prayer in our lives, both in the good times and the bad. Help us, Lord, to know what it means to stay constantly connected to you. Oh, Lord, help us to be 
to be known as a people of prayer. We're not concerned about what the community thinks of us ultimately. We're concerned about what you think of us. And you said, my people shall be called a house of prayer. And so God, help us to identify the way you want us to be identified. And God, I think of just those that are here this morning that maybe are spiritually broken, defeated, doubtful, discouraged, whatever. Lord, that they would seek out help. Help from our prayer team, help from our pastors, or just help from the person that that brought them here today. But Lord, allow them to give it all over to you this morning. Oh God, we need you. We are needy, you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.